So today I would like to talk about culture. Uh, the last few weeks we've been talking about staff, how to inspire them, how to unite them, how to, then a week later we talked about how to deal with harder challenges when you have a challenge with staff or disagree with staff or have to let staff go. Um, so feel free to uh, look at those podcasts and replay them if you weren't able to join us. They were really excellent conversations, uh, encouraging to leaders uh, is my hope. Uh, and so this week, I want to spend some time talking about culture, culture of your church, which I really believe starts with the leadership and the staff. And so um, I've invited a couple people to, to um, just kind of lead us in that conversation. I think that they've done it really well and have a passion for it at their own churches. And that's Matt and Tina Wilson at Ecclesia in Conway, South Carolina, and Dave Hamlin at Shelbyville in um, Kentucky. So please join me in welcoming them. And then I would just love to do the kickoff question to both of you uh, is how how did you develop culture at your churches and how would you define the culture at your church? Go bro. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll start with defining it. I think I would define our culture as stable. Um, in ministry, there's so much flux that you go through. There's so many changes that you constantly have to face. And I think the most important thing that we can create for our culture is stability to where people know where we are, who we are. We're going to maintain that. We have a mission that we have to stay focused to, a king that we have to serve. And um, we're a family. And so no matter what we face, we're going to face it as a family. And we're going to face it as a family that's loyal to the kingdom. And um, was the question, how, how did we create it? Um, I think, I think for us, the biggest thing was like, it, it goes back to stability is staying focused and keeping a clear mission in front of you at all times. Um, there was a podcast that Jerry Harris had me listen to one time about core values. And in that podcast, it said that vision leaks every 40 days. And so you have to keep re reigniting that vision. So for us, we meet every Tuesday with our staff and we disciple and then we go through our, our mission and our vision and our values and, and focus on everything we're doing, how it lines up with that. Um, we, we have every first Tuesday of every month is mission control where we bring in all the volunteers and world changers we have and we disciple. Then we go through our vision together and then we break off into each of the teams they lead and they do the same thing. They, they focus on the road ahead based off of our core values and our vision and who we are as a body and we 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 focus on stability so once a year we preach through our core values to begin every year so that people can see the consistency in who we are and what we do that our vision is always the same um the, the commission is still the same off the gospel and so stability to how we live how we lead but also i think the most important part is is full-on commitment to the word of God. That way, anytime you're challenged, you can just rely on the word of God as being, as being our compass. And so whenever we're faced with, well, you know, this church doesn't do that, or, or we never did it that way before, then we can always revert back to 
scripture as to why we do what we do and reliant on the stability of, of staying focused, how God has blessed that. And so when people are like, why does your church do this when the last church we went to didn't, we're able to say to people, because that's who we are in God's word, but also uh, we do it because you chose to be here instead of the church you left. And so mm -hmm. the way they did it didn't work too well. Um, check out why we do it the way we do, and you'll find the answer as to why you came here instead of there. Um, but our main focus is to reach lost people, not church people. And so when lost people see that stability inside the church, that culture of no one's perfect, everyone is trying their best to serve God, and we have an audacious mission ahead of us, it gives everybody that, that rally point that purpose in life to do something, how they can all contribute, but they see a stability that we've not stopped and it's not stopped being rewarded. And it gives us an authority um, for our culture. And so in that, it's, it just keeps this culture fresh. We're never afraid to take the next hill. We're always audacious, but we're always true to mission. And we're always true to who we are as God's people. And I, I, think, I think that's a, kind of a nutshell of, what our culture is, it's just determined, excited family. And we, we continue to foster that through always pointing out where we're going, what we're doing and, and where we've been. We have a celebration Sunday at the end in November, every year where we celebrate our history and remind that vision we were, we're moving forward on. And so we kind of recap and celebrate and then always point forward. And two times a year, having those moments uh, really kind of helps stabilize that. I'd follow along with the same stability theme and just, um, you know, for us, I've been here 36 years. So that, that is a stabilizing factor. And I'm only the second uh, lead pastor in the history of the church in 54 years. So um, there's, and a bunch of my staff have been here a long time too. So people kind of know the product that we're going to give and the get and uh, just being and, and getting to know the because our community is so different i mean we're just on the outskirts of louisville but in some ways we're a bedroom community but there is a culture out here that when you cross i-265 you have moved into a different culture and the church has to figure out how to maintain like matt was talking about maintain uh, doctrinal truth doesn't change but how we do things and getting to know the culture and being around, being around your community, it's a big deal for us that as many of our staff as possible uh, work in the schools uh, as just part of like, we co I coach football. Uh, one of my guys coaches tennis, another one coaches soccer, another one coaches track and cross country. Another one really is like a major player in recruiting volunteers for the school system and now anytime our local school system needs volunteers they call us first and when we came out of covid they said uh, you know and it was like okay no volunteers this year they called us the day after that came out on like all the social media things and said oh yeah that doesn't apply to you guys uh we're, we can't do what we do without you and, and it's and that's developed a trust uh, because of being here long enough and doing it that people know what they're going to get and uh, that we're not, you know, we're not freaks and we're not going to come in and do something crazy. 
And so that, you know, understanding our culture here in Shelby County, which is so different. I mean, like I say, we are, I can be in Jefferson, I can be in downtown Louisville in 25 minutes from my house, but those are two different worlds, two completely different worlds. And we're not trying to reach people in Jefferson County. We're trying to make it hard to go to hell from Shelby County. That's our job. And uh, so we, uh, uh, we try to live and be a part of the community and understanding that. And I think that's a little bit of what, you know, figuring out the culture of your church and how you apply God's culture into that is huge. I think when Dennis was talking about earlier about uh, Christmas Eve service and that he liked 11 o'clock, but a bunch of people in the church said uh, we're too old. That's like, okay, you got to figure out how to shift with that and be able to do that. And uh and the key, the other key I'd say is when you hear a good idea, be sure to steal it. Um, we're, we're halfway through uh, Clayton's um, Better at Home family series right now and killing it, killing it. And we kicked off Thursday night service, which took us a while to get going in our culture. But we're attendance is up like, well, last year, Labor Day weekend, we had under 800. Uh, this past weekend, we had over 1,100. So uh, figuring out how to get new things into a culture without like blowing over people um, has been huge. Thanks for sharing, you guys. Um, what Dave mentioned about Clayton's um, messages that he shared, if you guys weren't on that call, be sure to look back through our podcast replays and check it out those materials he made available to the friends and family of this group. So uh, be sure to check that out. If you aren't, haven't heard of it yet, that's how to find out about it. Check out the replay. Um, my next question about culture for you guys and, and Doug, feel, Doug Crozier, feel free to pipe in. I know that you've worked really hard with defining culture at Solomon Foundation too. Um, my next question for you guys is, do you write it down? Do you discuss it with staff? Is there a is there a definition to it? Like, what's your actual process? So, like, you you've named it, but now is there a process in which you teach it, share it, reinforce it, make sure it's happening? Because we all know that as our congregations change, as our staff change, as we grow, as people come, how do, how do we ensure the stability of that culture? And what's your actual process? Uh, to, to do that. I'll pipe in here. Um, let me start off by saying, I think culture is essential to success and developing your culture is, is paramount. Um, we, uh, we've made it mandatory reading that every employee at the Solomon Foundation, when they come on board, has to read the book Mission Drift. Uh, it's a very important uh, book, I think, for setting the culture of your organization. I think um, COVID has changed the world, um, and we've experienced some uh, drifting, uh, I think, during COVID that we're trying to get back on track to, to get our organization back to the basics. Uh, I think it's it's only natural that you're you're going to see that happen. Most of you probably seen that happen during COVID also. So we're trying to kind of restart 
um, some cultural things here at Solomon to, because we've got so many new employees too. And, you know, when it was an organization with five or 10 people, um, yeah, it was family. And then it got to be 20 or 30 and some of that slips and we're trying to get back to that because I just think it's important that, um, you know, people understand the culture as an employee, you need to understand uh, the organization, how it was started, what it took to get it done, what culture was there. Uh, and I know as organizations get bigger, uh, sometimes that culture gets watered down. And um, so we, we emphasize um, our core values at every meeting. You'll see them on the wall. And when you come to work every morning, when you leave every night, it's there. Uh, we want to emphasize uh, who we are and what we do uh, so that we don't drift. Uh, and it's hard to do in the post-COVID world. It's a different world. Um, how do you, um, you know, one of the tough things I've been, I've dealt with since uh, COVID has been the whole work from home thing. Um, and I, I finally just turned it over to my executive team. And I said, whatever you decide, I'm hundred percent on board. And they developed a plan. They went through and had three different options for employees. And we're, we're implementing that now, but that's been a, it's been a challenge for me, uh, just simply because maybe I'm old school, but bottom line is, you know, I, I couldn't work from home during COVID. It was hard. It was challenging. I mean, I'd come out of my home office at five o'clock, six o'clock at night. And the first thing my wife said to me about a week into COVID is, I didn't know you could talk that much. Uh, so, and that's after 40 years of marriage. So, uh, you know, I think as we, we progress in this new era, uh, we've got to really, really watch our culture and make sure we don't lose the key things that made us successful. And I think that's key, Doug, just a, on the culture, the the Denver culture uh, of COVID and the Shelbyville culture. Like half of what you said about coming out of COVID, our people would look at you like you've got three heads because COVID is 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 almost laughable here now. I mean, it's like, we, like, what? Well, that was two years ago. We've moved on. And now if you're like, you like working in the office, I can get you a job here because we work in the office and, um, you know, and, but that's different. I'm sure it's different in a lot of metropolitan areas and stuff, but, you know, we've got a bunch of rednecks and former addicts that have put so many weird things in their body that they, they're not worried about a virus. And, but we we did what we had to do early and now it's different it now we've moved on but that's a different culture and i think that's part of being smart and how you're handling stuff at solomon versus how we're handling stuff here versus how everybody on the call handles church uh but keeping the mission in front and i think like what you do doug is you model it and that's what i try to do is I'm not going to ask any of my staff and especially not volunteers to model a culture that I'm not living out. And if our number one thing is to reach the lost, if I'm not leading people to Christ, I'm not going to ask you to do it. And, uh, 
Yeah. Um, and that's a pretty strong thing, in my opinion. I think I think one of the most powerful pieces of that is modeling it. Um, you know, Paul Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter four about setting the example. And I, you know, whether it's First Timothy four or Ephesians four and five, I think the Bible gives you a pretty clear guideline of how to model it for your church. You know, you've got you've got Timothy and Titus that teach how to model. Uh, elders and deacons to be models for the church, but you also can look at Ephesians 4 and 5 and 1 Timothy 4, and you can see a pretty good guideline for how to create a culture in your church, whether it be for removing the negativity and the coarse joking and what to talk about, what to celebrate. I think celebration is something that's huge. Um, if you sell, it's like, it's, it's like raising children, you celebrate the good and you 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 eliminate the bad you know we have a we have a, a policy we'll negotiate where there's room to negotiate but we do not negotiate with terrorists yeah i mean that's it uh we just have a strict policy if someone's a spiritual terrorist we don't negotiate we don't compromise um and and you you can learn pretty quick you know, through through certain situations, you either enjoy being abused and your congregation being abused and you maintain those things out of fear or you get to a place to where you realize, you know, <clears throat> my shepherd has entrusted me with this flock and he wants this flock to have a certain culture. Um, you know, I'm, I'm like, Dave, we're in the South. And so, you know, COVID, COVID hit here. And I think a lot of our abuse was it's a tourist area. So we weren't safe that everybody was still vacationing here like it's not you guys aren't wearing masks enough you guys aren't following enough mandates but we still want a vacation here and it doesn't matter we're still coming um but for us yeah COVID wasn't as big of an issue as it is in some places now but then we have the culture we have to be at war out of the good southern patriotic religion people that want to constantly be at war of those who come from other areas. Yeah. And so we have to balance the culture between patriot, patriotic religion and uh, progressive religion. So extreme, extreme uh, ends there, there. And so we find that the best thing for our culture is to constantly reinforce the biblical, uh, the biblical, the, the biblical outlines of our church of who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing we're not democrat we're not republican we're christian and that's a culture that has to be ingrained so um, you know whether it comes down one of the biggest keys that we have that works all the way through our church to continue um, building the culture is every single world changer volunteer leader Anybody that's on staff with us, everybody on Monday submits pros and cons. And so we're looking at three things that went really well, where our culture was good, our mission was good, and, and our vision is being met. And so we want three from every area. So they have to contact the people that serve with them and they get feedback and they get to reinforce celebrating the good. And then we do three cons. That's pretty much so that we can always focus on where we can improve. And so those three cons come through as things that could have went better, uh, areas we may have been weak, and areas where we didn't, where our culture didn't feel right or our mission didn't seem to align. 
And then on Tuesdays, we meet on those, we pray on those, and we come up with a plan of how to course correct. And, and I want to say that when I'm talking about the way we do what we do, I'm not saying we're stuck in our methodology. Um, we're very brave in changing our methods, and we would long to be able to change our methods quickly and effectively. But at the same point, it's not our methods that we have to stay so focused on. I think our church appreciates that we're not married to them, but it is the culture of who we are. We have to be subjects to King Jesus first, a, a, a nation, a royal priesthood of people that all carry the load, one body of many parts, and we have one objective. We don't have enemies that are lost people. They're captives. They're not our enemies. And so we're constantly empowering people to go out like Rambo in Rambo 2 and break the Vietnamese chains loose so that we can bring the prisoners home. Um, and we have a rallying point. Um, every, every service we begin with, are you ready? And every service we end with, let's go change the world. Um, but those, those pieces, I believe, help us reinforce because every message, every meeting, every update, everything is constantly pointing forward to Jesus is coming and we want to be ready. We want to, we want to be accomplishing for his kingdom so that his territory expands and his people are united. Don't know if that's what you're Hey, I've got a question, but Renee, you just let us know whether you're up to that point yet. We're good. Okay. Matt, you've just, you've just given us a, a truckload of great uh, wisdom there. Uh, you said you don't negotiate with terrorists, spiritual terrorists. Mm -hmm. um, how do you usher a spiritual terrorist off the ecclesia plane? Because generally they go kicking and screaming. And, and that can be unsettling to the rest of the people on the ecclesia plane, to use your metaphor. So got any ideas on, on that? Yes. Dude, have you seen his brother? His brother <laughs> will escort you off the planet. <laughs> so so Dave, Dave's, Dave's got more, he's more correct than he knows. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll tell you where I had failed. Um, I was very good at that in the beginning. Um, I believe God gives us a gift of discernment. And the first moments we start to see a, a terrorist rising up, when we start to see um, one little jihadist in our circle, it needs to be addressed immediately. I'll give you an example of where I failed recently. We had uh, a lady that was in our church that had a wonderful heart to serve, but she was toxic in um, dependency. Uh, needing, needing to be uh, a victim in certain circles, but she would get people to share their deepest, darkest moments. Um, she was definitely a, a person who focused on eating meat, but not producing milk. Uh, she wanted to bathe herself in the body of Christ without going after the lost. And I identified, you know, her sharing pieces of uh, intimate information she would collect from other people. And I, I, I realized, wait, there's a problem here. And when we were a smaller church and just had a management team, I could meet with them. We could identify a problem. We could remove it quickly. As we had hired and grew in staff, 
uh, I did not pay attention to how much this woman had infiltrated the homes of other leaders and how much she served the wives of, of men in our church. And by the time I started to take a stand, I let it slide a lot more than I should. And um, she was enabled to get into uh, a semi-leadership role. And instead of being the, the shepherd of our church and stepping into a place of saying, nope, this is a problem. It needs to be, it needs to be eradicated. Uh, we, we took Matthew 18 to the extreme. And instead of three meetings, probably had 15. And then at that point, she started just cut communications and was smile to our face and then go and talk uh, toxically about leadership in bad circles to a point to where I realized my error was I was trying to handle it without the rest of the church staff and leadership and elders being able to address it. And I created a dependency on me being the, the terrorist um, hunter. And so it came to a place where I realized, you know what, this is a job of our elders and deacons. And I presented them with all the information, allowed them to weigh it. And I also shared the weight I was under and that my family was under through this situation. They met with the family and um, after two conversations realized this was toxic, it's not going to heal. And they relied on our, our, our stance of we don't negotiate with terrorists. One of the biggest points was that they said, well, if we leave, other people will leave. And so that was kind of the point where they said, nope, that's a terrorist threat. You guys need to go and you need to go now. Um, as that happened, it wasn't in that situation so much ushering as it was, um, God bless you, go. Um, and there was concern about would people fall out? And what we realized is when you get rid of something toxic, people start to breathe clean air and their eyes start to open and our church uh, welcomed, welcomed the, the uh, eviction of, of this family. And a lot, of, a lot of healing started to immediately take place. So that situation was one where we didn't guard it well. What we found is um, if you address it with someone, you're looking for a sign of repentance, not words, just repentance, change is the mannerism. So I would say the first time you start noticing it, you're probably going to try and justify to yourself, I don't want a witch hunt. Um, you're on a wolf hunt, not a witch hunt. You're looking for someone who comes in to destroy the body. And every time that you don't move on that, that, that terrorist cell is growing and yeah. recruiting and it will destroy, um, they can destroy your body quickly. So yes, sometimes you have to, you have to be kind of brash in, in situations, but you need to be clear up front the whole time is this is not the culture of our church. This is not a line. You are blessed to go somewhere else, but uh, you do not have the freedom to operate as you would like here. I'll, I'll put it like this. Um, if, if you come to my house and I have a refrigerator stocked with all the major food groups you need for nutrition and everything you need to be healthy and to thrive is in that refrigerator, you are welcome to come eat. But the second you start bashing me for not having mayonnaise, um, you don't have that right because I'm not required to provide for you mayonnaise. That's a luxury. And when you start complaining about me not having it, mayonnaise must be handled properly, stored properly, and taken care of in a way, or else mayonnaise becomes poison. 
Um, so we have the right to refuse mayonnaise from our refrigerator. And that's something that has to be direct and clear to people from the get. So for us, we just make it clear to people, you're welcome here, but you're welcome here in unity. You're not welcome here in division. And if you want to enjoy the fruit of our refrigerator, the fruit of this body, then you must celebrate in it and have unity with it. But if you're divisive, you will be, you will be told to go find a church that you can get to heaven in without having division. And then God will clear us up. But you cannot go to hell here. One thing I would add, too, is we try to do, because we've gotten burned that a couple times, we try to do as much uh, work on the front end, and the way you, like, you become a member of our church now, like probably a lot of y'all, is through a, a Pathways thing, and I teach the first step, so I'm, I'm meeting everybody on the front end when they come in, and part of what we do is talk about our core values, who we are, our vision, and then we, I talk about, like, what we're not and uh with being here as long as i have one of the statements i make every month when we do pathways is hey if you hear us say something today that you don't think resonates with you i know every church in shelby county you tell me what you're looking for and i'll help you find it uh even if it's not here and if i know they're coming from another church in shelby county uh i do a private like hey why you know like why are you here like why I, you, you went to XYZ church forever. Why are you here? And if it really quickly becomes, well, pastor so-and-so didn't let me do this, or I didn't get to do this or whatever. Uh, my response before they ever sign a membership covenant is, you know, maybe you need to take those bags back there and work out the issues at that church, because uh, you, if you haven't worked those issues out, we don't necessarily want you uh, because all you're doing is bringing a bunch of baggage here. Now, there are certain times that there's times and seasons for different places. But if it's something that, like, you have followed it, and it, we've had people come here that I know we were the fifth church uh, that I knew about. that they And, like, okay, like, there is a problem you're taking with you from church to church. We don't want to deal with it. You need to deal with it. You and God need to deal with it and figure it out, not us. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad for this discussion, Renee, because the most important thing I think that a senior pastor does, a lead pastor does, is monitor the culture of his church. I remember in the Christian college context, we had to submit to evaluation from peers and other schools every five years. And they would come onto campus and they would turn us inside out and look at every aspect of, of our operation. They would interview students, interview alumni, interview people from the community, interview staff and faculty, and then they would have an exit interview. And of course they wrote up a report as well. But I remember one particular exit interview that the five examiners sat up front and the chairman of the team spoke first. And here's what he said. He said, I've been doing on-site evaluations of colleges for 25 years. And I've never been on a campus where Everybody who was associated with your school that, that we met with, talked to, knew who you are, what you're about, and they were unselfishly, even sacrificially committed to it. Well, I didn't hear anything else he said or any of the other four examiners. I latched onto that. 
And I think there's application for that for every pastor on this call in the local church. If you, if you do the job of impressing and educating on your people who you are, what you're about, and you rally them to be unselfishly committed to it, sacrificially committed to it, uh, you, you have achieved your goal. Now, you'll never probably reach it with perfection, but I think that's the test of uh, whether or not the church is on target with its culture. People know who you are, what you're about. They're unselfishly, even sacrificially committed to it. Can, can I tie one thing to that, Ken? Sure. So one, the, greatest, the greatest compliment we've ever had in church, discipline. So, I mean, I think it's easy for us to forget as leaders, discipline's not supposed to feel good to the discipline, the one being disciplined. Um, but the greatest compliment we've had as like it, almost a direct moment from John six, especially for the mobile guys there out there. I know your heart, I know your pain. And we're like, man, if, if we have discipline, man, we're going to lose people. We'll get a name for it. You'll get a name of protection. Um, John chapter six, Jesus had a multitude of people walk away from him because they couldn't align with his teaching over his body and blood. And he looks at his disciples and he asked, are you going to leave me too? And they said, where would we go? You know what I mean? Where would we go? You are the source of life. And the greatest compliment we've had has come through church discipline where people have said, but where would we go? I mean, there are churches with better music, preachers that look normal. Um, there, there are churches that have, have so much more budget and finance than we do. But we will be on point mission and not compromise and take on the gates of hell so that we can walk into the gates of heaven. And if you want that, if you want a, a church that's going to be true and loyal, then this is your church. And our goal is to be that church. And that's what we stand behind. If you want to leave, um, you know, God bless you, man. Go find the place. There are some people, they want a less busy church. We're not going to be a less busy church. We're going to be an engaged church. But I think you have to know your value and our value is the body of Christ is we're obedient, submissive to him and he rewards the fruit of our labor. And so in that, if someone chooses to not be a part of that and go do something else, we will feel bad for you and we will love you, but we will not change for you and creating a culture of where else will they go? There, there's always going to be grass is greener on the other side, but I'm from the South, man. That normally means they got a septic tank with a leak in it. <laughs> that's um, right that's right you know you may oh, have green grass but we're growing a harvest so yeah. um it, it all comes down to what your fertilizer is yeah. and and so i believe know your value you are the body of christ you are god's kingdom people and if you are living that and producing fruit in accordance to his will you will draw more than you will lose where else will they go Hey, one of the things that there's real quick idea that I stole and I don't remember where, um, but this year that we really started tracking, you know, our big thing is reaching lost people. I'm trying to do it, but we started tracking the number, not just the number of baptisms that we have, but the number of people who do baptisms. Um, because if we're trying to sell, hey, let's all go out and win the world. And the only people they ever see in the baptistry are staff people. And so now it's one of our top metrics that we talk about at elders meeting that we're, we're right at 60% of our baptisms 
this year have done been done by non-staff people uh not even key like volunteer leaders just people that are doing it and so it's it's kind of people are starting to understand oh they're yeah they're serious about this let's go uh let's go win someone and what i've told them is that the first time you lead someone to christ and you have that feeling that experience of reaching out and making a difference being vulnerable you'll look at everybody through different lenses everybody in your circle through different lenses and so that has become a huge thing now that, uh, you know, our goal is to get to somewhere in the 75 to 80% uh, of baptisms being done by non-staff people. This has been a really awesome conversation and I have loved all the input. Super thankful for Dave and Matt. I think I would just like to put a bow on it by, and then we're going to have time for one, one question and, and we'll put, contact information for Matt and Dave, if you guys want to reach out to them. But I, I would say that each leader for their church or parachurch organization should be doing the following things for culture. They should be defining it, modeling it, teaching it, monitoring it, and then protecting it. And that's what I heard Dave and Matt say, and, and it's going to look different uh, just like we were talking about with COVID, what's in, happening in Denver is going to be different than what's happening yeah. in the South. But there are some things that are not going to be different. And that's going to be the biblical teaching and preaching of the of the mission. So I would just challenge you guys to think about culture. Is it something that you're doing or not doing? Are you doing it well? Uh, and so that's my thoughts and challenges and resources for you guys this week. Is there anybody that has a we have a few more minutes. Is there anyone that has a, a question or a comment, a thought, something they'd like to add to the conversation? Can I, can I say one more thing? Yeah. I think that for every pastor on here, it's important to note that you are the only, you're one of the only people in America that has a job where you get to create the environment you work in. And if you, you, you are directly responsible for if you enjoy preaching at your church or not, if you enjoy leading at your church, you get, you shepherd that culture. And if you ever get lost on what to do, you've got Doug Crozier and Tim Liston that's on here and do what the rest of us do and call them and steal everything you can from them. Amen. Crickets. Yeah. I was, it's funny, Matt, that you said that. Cause I was going to say, you know, the beauty of something like this is making sure you get networked and, and are getting ideas uh, that you can bring to a different thing. Like, and then don't make any bones about it. Like our, our people here, half the church knows about Ecclesia because Matt's been up here and we, we talk Ecclesia language here and give them credit. Everybody knows right now that the series we're doing uh, that Clayton gave me the idea and the background of it. And so they're seeing our, our folks are seeing a bigger network because we are truly networking and seeing, uh, you know, I, I got two or 300 Ecclesia friends on Facebook just from being down there a couple of times. And, and there's, and, and there's building the kingdom. I think that way is huge um, because of people seeing each other and knowing that it's bigger than just our little bubble, even if we're in a really big bubble. I mean, 
some, some of you guys, you know, Liston's got 4 bazillion people in Houston. Uh, that's a big bubble, but it's a bigger bubble than Houston. Tim knows that. That's why the church is successful, um, because their people know that. And that's been a big deal for us to work on is for them to know Matt Wilson's name, for them to know Tim sent us a check back when the tornadoes went in. And they, our people knew uh, about Tim Liston, about Clayton Hensel, and about people like that. And so we're trying to build a bigger kingdom picture than just our little hub in, uh, in Shelbyville, Kentucky. Hey, and if you would like to learn more about how to do that, Solomon is the greatest partners in the world. And there's another opportunity coming up. Uh, Uncommon Men's Conference is blowing up and it's an opportunity for churches to be able to kind of network. We're having Uncommon here in October. And if you're a pastor that would like to see about having a conference that networks us together at your church, this is just, I don't get anything out of this. I'm just saying a great opportunity. Um, if you would like to come to Ecclesia and check it out, you could be our guest. Um, Uncommon is great like that, but it's such an awesome opportunity to net, network together in our brotherhood to be able to get get our, our body to see other people. So if you're interested in that, we would love to have you so that you could be a part of that. And hopefully maybe that's something where you can start networking in your congregation next year. Crickets. No, that they're all muted. You know, it takes a minute. <laughs> that, that's the culture of this call, right? You know, we give them grace for a minute. You're pastors. You can take an uncomfortable moment. <laughs> well, I, I have loved this call. I, I love all of them. Um, but culture is something that we strive hard for at Solomon too. And I, I love to just talk about culture. I learn from it every time. Thank you, Matt, Doug, Dave, for sharing your heart on this. Thank you everyone for joining. If you ever have questions about this topic and want to know more, feel free to reach out to me and I'm happy to connect you um, with anyone that I know. Dr. West, do you mind? Um, if you have something to share, great. If not, if you wanna just say a prayer for us on our way out, a blessing over the rest of the week. I just want to say I am so proud to be running this race of faith with all you on this call. You are an amazing group of leaders, and it is a real honor to be uh, just part of what's happened this morning. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for all who contributed, Matt and Dave and Ken and, and, and everybody. Such, such a blessing. Thank you, Doug and Renee and the Solomon Foundation for facilitating this. This is just so, so helpful. Let me lead you in prayer. And so, Father God, as we step into the rest of this week, uh, gearing up for the weekend, we just thank you for the privilege of serving you. Lord, we just pray that we would continue to uh, um, lead as you have called us to lead, and that we will not be uh, um, blindsided by by uh mission drift, uh, onboard terrorists, whatever metaphor we've uh, used, God, we just, uh, we just want your Holy Spirit to be the absolute uh, premium guide in our lives as we lead for you in bringing people to faith in you, Jesus, our Lord. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. <laughs>